Hey, welcome to the Life Hacks for Entrepreneurs podcast. I am your host, David Uvita. And in this podcast, we'll share practical life hacks designed to shape your best life, love, health, and business. Life Hacks for Entrepreneurs starts right now. Hey, welcome back to the Life Hacks for Entrepreneurs podcast. I am your host, David Ubita. I'm super excited about today's guest. He is the 28-year-old CEO of FreeUp.com, Nathan Hirsch. Now, check this out. He started out as a broke college student and started his first business uh, selling books on Amazon and scaled it to over $25 million per year in just a short for years. He's been featured on over a hundred podcasts. We're super honored to have him. Podcasts like Entrepreneur on Fire, Eventual Millionaire, Hack the Entrepreneur, and we'll dive into his story when we return. Hello? Hey, hey. Hey, Nate, sorry. You? let me go ahead and introduce you, buddy. Welcome back to the Life Hacks for Entrepreneurs podcast. Uh, this is David Ubita. With me on the podcast is a remarkable story. Uh, we have the CEO, the 28-year-old CEO of FreeUp.com, Nate Hirsch. Say hello, Nate. Hey, I'm actually 29. I just turned 29. Thanks for having me. <laughs> well, congratulations. How, how does it feel to be one year older? <laughs> Feels about the same, but I feel like once I hit 30, then I'm no longer a young entrepreneur anymore, which is kind of weird. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. Listen, man, thanks so much for, for hanging out with us for a few minutes. I know that you've been featured on several podcasts, uh, some really, really well-known podcasts like Entrepreneurs on Fire, and uh, we're really, really grateful to have you on, uh, not only uh, because you're just an upstanding dude, but your story is very compelling and uh, one of the reasons why I have you on the show, uh, share with us your story. You started out as a broke college student. Now, that's not an unfamiliar <laughs> experience, but you know, talk to us. How, how did that all happen? Yeah, so I, I, my parents were both teachers growing up. So I, I was never poor by any means, but I was never, never wealthy. And I always wanted something more because in my parents' mind, what I was going to do was get good grades in high school, get into a good college, maybe an internship graduate, get a real job, work for 40 years and retire. And I knew very early on from having these internships when I was in high school that that's not at all what I wanted to do. I, I hated looking at the clock. I hated working for other people. Um, and I was a little bit of a rebel. So when I got to college, <laughs> I knew this was my opportunity to build something because if I didn't build something within four years, I was going to graduate and have to get a job. So I really hustled. I tried every little thing to, to just make side money. And I started buying and selling textbooks. I, I saw that the bookstore was ripping me off and mm. I, I thought I could do it better. So what I did from there, I started marketing and telling my friends. And before I knew it, I had lines out the door of people trying to sell me their books to the point where 
I actually got a cease and desist letter from the school because I was taking up so much of their business. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> and yeah, so books led me to Amazon and I experimented there and through trial and error, I, I came across baby products and Amazon, I mean, this was 2008. So Amazon was just becoming more than a bookstore. And if you can imagine me at, at 20 years old, a, a single college guy selling baby products out of my college dorm room, <laughs> that was me. <laughs> And this business took off, it grew, and, and that's really when I, I was introduced to the remote hiring world just by necessity, because who wanted to work for some 20-year-old um, selling baby products I was in college? So that's kind of the short version of how I went from broke college kid to starting my first and eventually led me to free up. Man, what a, there's so much good stuff that you just shared. And before we go on to free up, which is your latest, uh, latest business, here you are, and, and I want to just park here for a moment because I know we have a lot of listeners, and to our surprise, we've got many listeners in their early 20s and even teenagers that reach out and listen to the, to the podcast uh, and, you know, all the way up to, you know, semi-retired folks or whatnot, but um, what I love is that you saw a problem and it was impacting you. And you said, well, I'm not going to you know, bend over and take another. What you're saying is, you know what, there's got to be a way to beat the system or to you know, make this process more efficient. And that's where the wheels started turning, right? Yeah. And if you had asked me, I never would have thought I was selling baby products, but I, I really adjusted to the market. I thought, hey, I want to I build a big business. I made a little money on textbooks, but I, I didn't see textbooks as a long-term opportunity. I, I knew I would graduate. I wouldn't have access to them for very long. But I, I saw that Amazon was booming and, and I wanted to get in on that. I love selling online. And through just trial and error, I just tried, tried and tried and tried until I got something to work. I mean, I failed so many times. I, I was trying to, to sell sporting equipment and computers and, and DVDs and, and stuff that I was familiar with. And it wasn't until I branched out of my comfort zone that, that I found a niche in baby products. What a powerful lesson right there in itself as we are opening up this podcast. And you mentioned I failed so many times. And, you know, when we look at Jeff, the Jeff Bezos of the world, we look at the, you know, the Nation Hursts of the world, we look at, you know, the Mark Cubans of the world. If we were to, you know, ask them, hey, how many times did you fail? And one of my favorite quotes from Mark Cuban is you only have to win at something once. Right. You just got to find that one thing, just that one piece and everything falls into alignment. And all of a sudden, all of this work that you've put in, all of this, this energy, all of, all of this, you know, loss of sleep and maybe even relationships and the time you've invested then really makes it worth it in the long run, doesn't it? Absolutely. And, and one of the reasons why I failed so much is I put myself out there so much. I mean, I was hustling. I was trying every little thing to, to come up with something that could consistently make money. And I feel like the only way that you find something great is when you try all these different things and read the market and pull back on things that aren't working and invest in what's working. You know what I love about uh, this discussion thus far is that you mentioned a couple of times, hey, here I am 20 years old and I am moving baby products. It's so counterintuitive. I, I'm sure part of you was like, you know, what the hell do I know about baby products? I don't have a baby. Yeah, I mean, I got a lot of weird looks. I would spend eight <laughs> hours a day. 
eight hours a day sitting in the back of my classroom while the teacher was teaching, just listing baby products on my computer. And people thought I was crazy um, until I graduated and they all got jobs and I was focused on being an entrepreneur. That's such a great lesson for our listeners as well, because, you know, sometimes, oftentimes a problem that that we can solve for the marketplace is counterintuitive to our, to our own situations. Now, in some cases, there is a natural problem that you addressed, for example, when you first started doing the books, and then that journey led you to discovering a different problem to solve that was so counterintuitive, but then really helped you in the process to develop as an entrepreneur to where you are today. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it didn't stop there. Even when I started to have success on Amazon, again, I read the market. When we're doubling every year, you think, okay, I'm going to get to $100 million. But then all of a sudden, these gurus come up, these courses, these people mm-hmm. teaching people how to sell on Amazon. And I was never passionate about baby products. I, I was good at selling it. So it wasn't like this was my, my real baby. And the business was doing fine. We weren't, we weren't scaling at the same rate. But at the same time, it was enough to make a living. But I knew that I had to pivot. I knew that I wasn't going to be happy doing this for another 20 years. So that's really when I I decided to start FreeUp based on my own hiring experience. I I had spent so much time in the remote hiring world, posting a job, getting 100 applicants, interviewing them one by one. And I just wanted a better, faster way. And and that's when I came up with FreeUp, a marketplace where we get hundreds of applicants every week to get into the marketplace, take the top 1%. And then make them available to entrepreneurs around the world whenever they need them quickly. And that's really when I pivoted, again, reading the market, listening to feedback, um, adjusting. If you had asked me a year into Amazon, I would have told you, hey, I'm going to be an Amazon seller for the next 50 years. But I continued to read the market and adjust. That's another valuable lesson. So you scaled the Amazon business to, I believe, over $20 million, um, per year. Is that right? No, we're doing over $5 million a year, but I sold over $25 million in general total. Beautiful, beautiful. And so now at FreeUp, I know that when we started talking about FreeUp, I love the business model concept where you're really looking at scaling your business and keeping overhead low, but bringing in rock stars to help you set your business up for success. Why don't you share that business model with, with our listeners today? Because I really thought it was pretty genius. Yeah, I mean, the gig economy is booming right now. And over the next 10 years, over 50% of the workforce is going to be remote. So if you're not taking advantage of that, your competitors are, they're going to be soon. Um, there are so many benefits from hiring people remotely, from not having, to, not having overhead and not having to have an office to not have to hire people full time, be able to hire people per project or part time to getting specialists and not being limited to just the talent in your city and the talent around you and not competing with every other business in your town for that same talent. And I could go on and on, but hiring people remote has such good benefits. And I've been able to take free up from a million the first year to 5 million last year to a run rate of 9 million um, right now, all by freelancers. We, we have no employees. It's con- my business partner, Connor and I, and a group of freelancers that billed me 800 hours last week Um, We have lots of manpower and all those freelancers are the same freelancers that are available to all of our client base. And I mean, the mindset is simple is listen, I've never, I'm never the best person at at every part of my business. And I'm definitely not the smartest person in every room that I go into, but what I've been really good at is hiring really good people and surrounding myself with really good people because that's how you take your business to the next level. 
if you think about how many bad businesses out there have become very successful from just hiring the right people and vice versa, really strong business ideas that have failed because you've hired the wrong people, that can really make or break your business. That is so spot on. You are so spot on, Nate. How did you come up with this particular approach? Was this some like an epiphany? Uh, did you have like some like really jacked up, you know, relationships with previous employees that said, forget this, I'm going to freelance. How did this idea, you know, how was it birthed? Yeah, well, two things happened. One, when I was in college, there, no one wanted to work for me, right? I, I couldn't just hire some 35-year-old marketing expert to come work out of my college dorm room. It, it wasn't really an option. So I, I was very much relied, I very much relied on these remote freelancers. But when I graduated, I thought, okay, we have all these people remote, Let's bring them to an office. They'll be more productive. It'll be better. And what happened was <laughs> the exact opposite. When I brought them to the office, they were less productive. There was more drama that I mm. felt like I wasn't getting the bang for my buck. And I actually ended up getting rid of the office. It, it was a huge learning lesson for me um, and, and bringing it right back to being remote. And that now I really practice that to other people that in this day and age, you should only be bringing people to the office if you absolutely have to, if it's a warehouse staff or something like that. Every, almost everything else can get done remote. I totally agree. You mentioned a statistic earlier. You said 50%. That's one out of two. The projection for the marketplace uh, to be working remote. One out of two employees will have that flexibility. With that in mind, how does FreeUp come in and actually partner or, or help companies facilitate that? Yeah, so on our end, we have a pool of network of already pre-vetted people in our network. So if you need a graphic designer, you don't have to spend two weeks interviewing people. We have clients that get started within hours or minutes. You just submit a request. And then as a business owner, we all know how hard it is to sleep at night when you put other people in control of your business or you hire yes. people that you don't know before. <laughs> so, and, and I'm a business owner myself. I know this. So what I did was we added 24-7 instant support at all times. So if you have even the smallest issue, you know you're protected. And then we also added a no turnover guarantee. Freelancers rarely quit in our marketplace. It is real life. It could happen. If they quit for any reason, we cover all replacement costs and get you a new person right away. So you know you're getting access to fast talent, but you're also protected on the back end. Wow. So – what are some of the most common uh, roles or positions that uh, you find that FreeUp is providing the marketplace? Is it graphic designers? What are some other, like, some other positions that you guys address? <laughs> yeah, it's my least favorite question because we're, we have over 100 skill sets and there's Holy never cow. really any rhyme and reason. I mean, we get... 50 plus requests every day and they're really all over the place. I mean, everything from customer service and data entry to graphic design, bookkeeping, content writing, all the way up to Amazon experts, eBay, marketing, PPC, web developers, email marketing, you name it. I mean, if you go to freeup.com with three E's slash pricing, you can see a pretty cool infographic of everything we offer and ballpark pricing for U.S. and non-U.S. freelancers. Fantastic. So a couple more questions here, because this is such a, a, an important, the problem that you solve for, for business owners like myself is so important, especially as we endeavor to 
to reduce our overhead, but we are certainly not interested in reducing the quality of our work. So one of the questions that I would have as a business owner is how do you guys vet these particular uh, freelancers that, that you have access to so that we're not necessarily concerned about the quality that we know that we're going to have a really, really good opportunity at partnering with someone, hiring a freelancer that really knows what they're doing. Yeah. So we reject 99 out of every hundred people that apply to get in our marketplace. We, we really do take the top 1% and it's all based on skill, attitude, and communication. And I think where a lot of people go wrong is they only vet people for skill. They look at someone's resume, their background, their references, and they, they hire them and it blows up in their face and they wonder why. And so we spend a lot of time vetting on skill. Don't get me wrong, but we also focus on the attitude and communication for attitude. We look for people who are passionate about more than just a paycheck, people who actually care about their clients' businesses and whatever they're doing, people who have a smile on their face that don't let personal inter issues interfere with, with work. Um, for communication, I mean, communication's everything, especially when you're working remote. We want people who can hit deadlines, who can communicate, who can keep clients updated, who obviously can speak English at a high level. Um, we want people that we don't have to chase across the U.S. or across the Philippines to get something done. And, and we have 15 pages of communication best practices that they have to memorize and get tested on before they get in. So we're really focused on all three and, and we're very quick to remove people if they show that they don't have the skill set they say they do, if they show that they have poor attitude or com poor communication. Beautiful, beautiful. So you mentioned that you're just about doubling your revenue this year. Uh, what's one strategy going into your first year at a million, which is tremendous, and then year two, cracking the 5 million mark, and then year three, you know, about to crack the $10 million mark. Um, what is one strategy that you can share with our listeners today when it comes to scaling your business? So one of the biggest things that I do is I ask for feedback and I'm not afraid of feedback. And that goes for the clients. It goes for the freelancers. If you're running a business out there, it goes for your employees. It goes for your customer base. I always want to know what people like and what people don't like because I'm, I'm honest with them. I say, hey, listen, we're a startup. I'm doing everything I can every day to make sure you have a good experience. But there's going to be things that there's going to be hiccups. There's going to be things I don't know about. And if you provide me that information, I'm going to fix it. So we're constantly listening to, again, what the market tells us and tweaking and making adjustments and trying to improve. And that doesn't mean that I can take every piece of feedback and implement it instantly, but we're constantly going in the right direction because we want to know how can we make this better for both the clients and the freelancers. I couldn't agree with you more. I think one of the most important functions of anyone leading a business, a CEO, uh, anyone in the decision-making process is including and making it a requirement as part of the organizational culture to enable feedback on just about every level from, from customers, from, you know, from, from your staff and your team, uh, from your leadership. It, the greatest attribute that any leader, any successful leader that I've ever met is learning to listen before speaking and self-assessment as a result of that feedback. Absolutely. I mean, quick story. Um, back when I was, I opened up that office and I was hiring people, I had ridiculous turnover. It was something like 50% and I couldn't understand why people kept leaving. 
So mm. one person quit on me and it was the third consecutive person that quit on me. And I asked him for an exit interview and it was incredibly uncomfortable. It could not have been more uncomfortable, but I got brutally honest feedback about me as a leader, as a manager, as a person a behind the scenes of my business. And I really should have written that guy a check right there because the information <laughs> I gained from that turned the entire business around to where my retention rates over 95% all because I just asked for that feedback. Amazing. Amazing. Man, where has the time gone, Nate? I could talk to you for hours, but I, I just want to express my sincerest appreciation for you taking the time out to, to chat with us today. So really quickly, before we wrap this interview up, where can our listeners connect with you? I know you have a website, but are you, you know, what are your social media channels? I want to make sure that our listeners have an opportunity to really plug in and leverage the insight uh, that you've been able to accumulate over the years. Yeah, check me out on Twitter and Instagram at the real Nate Hirsch. Um, if you go to freeup.com with three E's, my calendar is right at the top. If you want to book a time with me, I'd love to talk to you about your businesses or your business and how we can help. Um, and yeah, I'm very easy to contact on, on all social media channels. And you can also check out the Free Up blog for a lot of great hiring tips. Nate, thank you so much for your time. Hey guys, in our next and final segment, I'll share an action item with you to help you take the next step in your business. Thanks so much, Nate. Thank you. Hey, welcome back to our final segment here on the Life Hacks for Entrepreneurs podcast. What a great interview with Nate Hirsch. And I love the life hack that he dropped, and I wanted to go ahead and share with you a couple of tips to help you really uh, grasp and implement the life hack that he shared. So we talked about feedback. Uh, I asked him in the, uh, the interview, hey, how did you double or scale your business? And he said feedback, basically just listening to, to, to my customers. And so what I want to share with you are some tips. Uh, guys, if feedback isn't a part of your organizational culture right now, You'll have to make it uh, a mission-critical priority to do so simply because what worked for you on day one when you started your business, let's say like in Nate's position, you went ahead and, and did a million uh, in sales that first year and then went ahead and scaled it to $5 million in the second year, The way, one of the ways to implement this whole feedback culture within your organization is by instituting a couple of tools. First and foremost, in your email campaigns, you should have a, uh, a series of emails asking for feedback, and that could be great amongst your customers. Uh, in addition to that, your website should have a place for feedback. Uh, in addition to that, uh, within your organization, uh, if you have a brick-and-mortar facility, there should be uh, a location where people, your, those who work with you, for you, who, who are your employees, your team, and staff, can have a confidential place for feedback. See, what happens is most people, uh, when they're asked for feedback, whether they're a customer or whether they're an employee or leadership, they may, they may be kind of uh, uh, gun-shy to share their feedback because of their perceptions of what could happen to them. And then you've got those that really don't care. And those are great because they're going to tell you the truth. They're going to tell you their slant. Now, just because you hear feedback, and one of the reasons why 
uh, CEOs and or organizations don't make feedback a mission critical part of their culture is because they may be afraid of what they're hearing. You know, here we are working 20 hour days, right? And then we hear one more thing, one more problem. And it's almost like, look, I don't want to hear another bad report. But let me tell you something. Feedback is neither positive or negative. Feedback from your staff, from your leadership, from your, from your customers. Uh, my favorite feedback is the feedback from those customers who are unhappy, who walked away. That is where you're going to get the most nuggets. If you are constantly hearing your product is great, hey, that's fantastic, and it definitely can you know, be a pat on the back. But the best feedback is the feedback from people who are unhappy with your product, that their experience with you was not necessarily a positive one. So on that note, guys, again, ask yourself these questions. Do we have email campaigns in place to reach out to our customers? When we communicate with our email customers on the phone, are we asking them for their feedback? Uh, as far as our websites, our, our marketing materials, our social media materials, are we reaching out for feedback on a consistent basis? Am I leaving the, do I have an open door policy at my office with any employee that, uh, that spends their workday, eight, 10 hour days working for you, building your business and your dream? You know, they're the first ones who should have uh, the right, the opportunity to share their thoughts on what is working and what is not working. And so on that note, guys, make sure to make feedback part of your organizational culture. Make it mission critical. Make it as important as money. In fact, that feedback will be more important than any revenue that you can make or generate with your business. That feedback can help scale your business. And that feedback, if it is not addressed, can actually doom your business. So make sure to value feedback as if it was water and you were in the desert. Hey guys, if you find yourself stuck in your business and would like to further explore the topic of feedback to help grow your business, visit our website at davidubita.com and schedule a free call with us now. You've been listening to the Life Hacks for Entrepreneurs podcast with your host, nationally featured author, speaker, and online marketing coach, David Ubita. To be considered as a guest for future episodes, please email our team at podcast at davidubita.com. And we'd love to hear from you. Visit our Facebook page at Life Hacks for Entrepreneurs podcast and share your thoughts of the episode you loved most and share this episode with someone else. This would also inspire. Hey, until next time, continue to grind, grow, and give.